On this uh, second Sunday in Lent, the church presents us with the account of Jesus' transfiguration, which, as the preface of today's Mass teaches, was a manifestation of Jesus' glory granted to the apostles Peter, James, and John to strengthen their faith for when they would see Jesus being mocked and scourged and crucified, that they might know that Christ's necessary passion would lead to the glory of the resurrection. Yet as we read at the conclusion of today's gospel, as they were coming down from the mountain, they were questioning what rising from the dead meant. And they would only grasp the reality of the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, and then only gain power to proclaim the risen Jesus 50 days later on the Feast of Pentecost. And we have hopefully all embarked on some kind of fasting for these 40 days of Lent. The transfiguration represents an encounter between three people who had each fasted 40 days. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai with the Lord without eating bread or drinking water and wrote on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments that God gave him. Elijah also fasted 40 days as he fled to Mount Sinai or Horeb after killing the prophets of Baal. And as we read last Sunday, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted, spending 40 days in the wilderness eating and drinking nothing. So we have three people who share this one thing in common, fasting. And while we too look forward to the resurrection at Easter, we know that we cannot get there without passing through suffering and dying to ourselves, which is what our Lenten penance of 40 days is intended to accomplish. In the first volume of his trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Benedict XVI provides some insights that can help us penetrate some aspects of this mystery of the transfiguration. He says how the mountain is a place of God's particular closeness. Jesus went up a mountain to be tempted, as we heard last week. He went up another mountain to preach, the Mount of the Beatitudes, another mountain to pray at night, he would go up a mountain, another mountain to be transfigured, Tabor, another mountain on which to suffer his agony in the garden, Mount, Mount Olivet, and Mount Calvary, where he would die on the cross. And then Mount Olivet again, from where he would ascend to heaven, and where he declares in total antithesis to the offer of world dominion through the devil's power, all power in heaven on earth is given to me. In the background, we also catch the mountains of the Old Testament, Sinai, Horeb, and Moriah, where today we find Abraham ascending with his only son Isaac in obedience to God, who commands him to offer his only son as a holocaust. Moriah is a mountain of both passion and of revelation, of passion culminating in the sacrifice of a lamb or a ram that was providentially provided by God in place of Isaac, a lamb that points to ahead to the definitive lamb sacrificed on Mount Calvary, the only son, our Lord Jesus, whom the Father did not spare from death. The transfiguration is a prayer event. It displays, displays visibly what happens 
When Jesus converses with his Father, the profound interpenetration of his being with God, which then becomes pure light. In his oneness with the Father, Jesus is himself light from light. The reality that he is in the deepest core of his being becomes perceptible to the senses at this moment. Jesus is being in the light of God, his own being light as sun. Jesus' garment of white light at the transfiguration speaks of our future as well. The Apocalypse of St. John tells us that the garments of the elect are white because they have washed them in the blood of the Lamb. This means that through baptism, they have been united with Jesus' passion, and his passion is the purification that restores to us the original garment lost through our sin. Through baptism, we are clothed with Jesus in light, and we ourselves become light. And this is the mystery that will be celebrated by our elect this coming Easter. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, are seen talking with Jesus. Their topic of conversation is the cross. Jesus' exodus, his passage through the, the Red Sea, or we could say the bloody sea of the passion, and a transition into glory. A glory, however, that forever bears the mark of Jesus' wounds. By his suffering, the Son of Man and servant of God opens the door into freedom and renewal. His passion brings salvation. It is filled with the glory of God, transformed into light, into freedom and joy. Peter's suggestion to build three tents indicates a desire to make permanent this revelation of Jesus' majesty. But Peter has to learn that the messianic age is first and foremost the age of the cross. And that the transfiguration, the experience of becoming light from and with the Lord, requires us to be burned ourselves by the light of the passion and so transformed. And again, this is the purpose of the fast and penance we willingly take on this Lent. The cloud that overshadows them and from which a voice declares, this is my beloved son, listen to him, repeats that of Jesus' baptism in which the Father himself, speaking out of the cloud, had proclaimed Jesus as son, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the solemn proclamation of sonship, however, is now followed by a command, listen to him. The disciples and we must accompany Jesus back down the mountain and learn ever anew to listen to him. Now we live because of our baptism as transformed, transfigured people, but not up Mount Tabor, not on the Mount of Transfiguration, but in the concrete reality of the world. We too need our mountain experiences of prayer and vision, but we always return to the world where Christ's presence is eclipsed. We, we return to the world where Christ must continually endure his passion of being excluded from the city of man, being taken as he was for his crucifixion outside the city 
to again be crucified, to be eliminated. We, the baptized, however, have been clothed with Jesus in light to enlighten this darkened world. And I want to dwell a little on the sacrifice of, of Abraham. All life comes from God, and God is the Lord of life. Abraham acknowledged this in being prepared to sacrifice his only son in obedience to God, who had promised that it was through Isaac that he would have descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And we ourselves count ourselves among those descendants of Abraham, who is acknowledged as our father in faith in the Roman canon of the Mass, the first Eucharistic prayer. We heard today how the angel prevented Abraham from slaying his son because of the faith that Abraham had shown. But the knives are out for the hearts and the minds of our children, of your children. And may, maybe too many parents are willingly allowing their children's minds and quite possibly their souls and their bodies to be slain upon the altar of the state. Your children are being subjected to critical race theory and gender theory in the public schools. Teachers in Oregon and elsewhere are being reprogrammed to teach that expecting the right answer to, for example, a math problem is a sign of white supremacy. In this way, your children are being condemned to a re-education where truth not only does not matter, but is the enemy. And try telling the scientists who just landed an explorer perseverance on the surface of Mars that there is no such thing as a right and wrong math solution. The knife of abort abortion and of genital and hormonal mutilation is being wielded against your children. Catholic President Biden's choice for Secretary of Health and Human Services, another Catholic, Xavier Becerra, in a recent hearing could not name any restriction on abortion that he would support. No mercy for Down syndrome child in the womb, abortion for sex selection, or the barbaric partial birth abortion. Catholic President Biden recently signed an executive order calling on schools to allow transgender student athletes to participate in the sporting events that match their gender identity rather than their biological sex. So boys can compete against girls and use the locker rooms of their choice. And his pick for education secretary will enforce this policy. You know, after my um, positive test for COVID, I had to have a conversation with uh, a, rep a representative at Lane County Public Health. Uh, sounded like a nice young man, particularly as he had an accident, an accent from where I come from, so he's from somewhere around the London area. And he was very courteous and asked me all the, the, you know, the proper questions to guide me in terms of isolation and everything. But then he had a list of questions that he had to ask me, you know, kind of survey. So uh, what is your ethnic identity? 
So I said, well, I'm, I'm white Irish, you know. And then, uh, what is your preferred gender identity? <laughs> I said, excuse me? I don't have a gender. I don't have a gender identity. My gender was not assigned at birth. My sex was determined from the moment of conception. But there's this attempt to normalize this stupidity. I do not have a gender identity. I have a sex, male. I was asked, what's your preferred pronoun? <laughs> I said, what? I don't get to prefer a pronoun. It's immature to expect someone to address you by your preferred pronoun. Refuse to answer these questions in the way they want you to answer them. I said, I'm male. You make of it what you like. You choose the appropriate pronoun for me. And I was asked then, and um, what's your, what, what do you call it? Uh, um, you know, your, your sexual attraction. I said, I don't discuss that with anybody. But you see, this is just an attempt to normalize things and to influence our culture with madness and with lies. And you must not cooperate with it. It's an attempt to take truth outside the city and eliminate it and crucify it as Pilate did when he asked, what is truth? Catholic President Biden's choice for Assistant Health Secretary, transgender Rachel Levine, in other words, a man who wants us to consider him a woman, would not answer questions concerning the genital and hormonal mutilation of minors without their parents' consent. Catholic Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is fiercely promoting a persecution of our Christian faith with the Equality Act that passed through the House of Representatives last week. An act that, if passed into law, would severely discriminate against any individual or institution, such as the church, whilst honoring our call to serve the most vulnerable and the common good, but operating according to the truth of the human person made with inherent dignity and in the image of God, and according to the truth of life, marriage, and sexuality. We would be excluded from all kinds of activities. Parents, if your children are attending public schools, you need to be vigilant and even to step in. You need to be the messenger of the Lord to stop the Holocaust of your children's minds and souls on the altar of lies and deception.
You need to call out, as the angel did to Abraham, do not lay your hand on my child. Do not do the least thing to him or her. You might even need to pull your children out or at least provide the antidote by providing a clear Catholic education in your homes, a distinct Catholic environment in your homes, where prayers are said, the rosary is said, grace is said before and after meals, penance is observed according to the church's traditions. You come as a family to Stations of the Cross. Education is the greatest gift we can give to our children. And I realize a good education can cost money. But maybe we as a parish should commit to setting up a fund to secure the best education for our children. One of our young parishioners, Teresa Padilla here, she gained a place recently for, the, for this coming fall at the private Catholic Liberal Arts College, Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. She's very excited and her excitement is contagious. It's like a virus. And I know others who have gone there and who have received a solid, rounded education, fully informed by our Catholic faith. Last summer, Teresa attended the two-week Thomas Aquinas College Great Books program. If high school kids from this parish wanted to attend this summer's program, could we make it possible by funding a scholarship of some kind? Could we as a parish, shouldn't we as a parish, invest in the future of our young people to save their lives and their minds and enable them to bear the light of wisdom that this world needs. We have a parish center that could operate as a little school. The mountain is a place of encounter with God. The mountain is a place of encounter with wisdom and truth. Education should take us up the mountain towards the truth so that we can be its heralds in the world.